opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. When it comes to climate change, it's hard to know the impact it's going to have on our planet, let alone your portfolio. Climate Risk Analytics by CoreLogic will help you make consistent decisions from the national scale all the way down to individual properties. You can even assess projected losses for every structure in the continental United States with financial figures, actual numbers, not arbitrary letter grades. So one day when regulators ask how resilient your business is in the face of climate risk, be ready with Climate Risk Analytics by CoreLogic. Learn more at corelogic.com slash climate risk. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by two guests, John Rogers, Head of Research and Development at CoreLogic, and Christina Pappas, Vice President of the Keys Company, to talk about how climate risk is playing out in one of the hottest real estate markets in the country, Miami, Florida. John and Christina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. It's great to have you guys on here and for such a very timely topic. So, Christina, my very first question is for you, and that's about the incredible torrential rain, right, affecting Southern Florida, Fort Lauderdale, which, you know, got like 12 and 25 inches of rain between that uh, within 24 hours just a week ago. Tell us tell us what the situation is there. It, you know, right now it's, it's actually subsided quite a bit. Uh, the rain came in pretty fast and hard, uh, subsided fast and hard, thankfully. Uh, but it was quite scary. I think overall, we had many a stories that you heard and the, the news that you saw, actually some of our very own agents um, trapped in their cars, unable to get out um, for a couple hours. So it definitely was scary how quickly the rain came in. Uh, but the airport is opened again. Everything is up and running. Uh, and it seems like everything has really subsided. Uh, there are some effects just kind of with some debris and things in the area, but uh, all the roads have been cleared. So thankfully, uh the, the great thing about Florida is we know how to handle rain and wind, uh, and we do it very quickly. <laughs> you really do, and it's a good thing because, uh, you know, you get it a lot. So, you know, John, the larger question there, we have all these kind of events, but is this a sign? Is this one of the signs of, of things to come due to climate change? Yeah, I think it, um, unfortunately, it, it very well might, might be a sign of things to come. Um, just to give you a, a data point, I think it's... A, People talk about climate change, and sometimes it can feel a little bit abstract. Whereas, obviously, you know, torrential rain, a storm is, is much more uh, easier to understand um, uh, the impacts. And, and thankfully, everyone's okay in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale and surrounding areas. Um, but since 1980, uh, within the U.S., there's been just under eight major weather events per year that cause a billion dollars of loss or more since 1980. So that's you know. 42 years ago, unfortunately, the last five years, that figures just a touch under 18 major weather events occur in the United States. So that unfortunately, what cli- uh, climate change causes is uh, a higher frequency of major weather events or perils and the impact it causes. So um, we've done a lot of work at CoreLogic and we're, we're, we're putting together uh, a climate risk analytic to really help companies, homeowners really understand and measure and appreciate what the potential impact could be to that surrounding area and obviously their home, uh, actually initially up to the year 2050. 
yeah, unfortunately, I think it might be a, uh, you know, a sign of things to come, unfortunately. You know, it, I think Florida is especially interesting, as is California. We have the, you know, Florida is this extremely hot market. It got hot in the pandemic and has not slowed down. I mean, Christina, you know this more than anyone, right? Um, Tampa, Miami. And so the fact that this these places where people want to be, right? People want to be in Florida. We've seen that for all the different reasons. Is also a place where where the weather is going to be a little bit crazy. So, so John, tell me, um, what's CoreLogic market data saying about Florida? I know. I mean, that's and that's the paradox. So, I've, I've literally just come off a sentence saying, you know, there, there's a, a high risk, but it's the hottest market in the United States. Miami, Miami, in of itself, is 15 points above the average. Um, it's an amazing place to live. <laughs> I love going there. Um, it's interesting when you look at the, um, like who's actually buying uh, since uh, you know before the pandemic. Um, if you look at figures, about 12% were small investors. That figure's actually doubled um, just literally last year in terms of who's actually buying within uh, the Miami market. Um, population growth is up in Florida. It's a touchdown in, in Miami, to be fair. Um, but yes, it's, uh, it's a, it's, it's a paradox. It really, that, that's, that's part of the, the research paper is that, uh, an area that has high risk due to climate change is just an absolutely, um, the hottest market in the United States right now. So, uh, it, it definitely is a paradox. So just to drill down into those stats a little bit, John, um, you know, let's look at, as you said, the fact that, um, you have those. Um, small investors making such a difference there. 59% of purchases um, in December were made by small investors. 59%, like that is a crazy number. And and so, Christina, you know, love to, love to throw this to you. Are you seeing this in terms of growth, house prices, who's buying? Like, what are you seeing there? It's interesting you bring that up. And I don't think we talk about that small investor enough. You hear in the news a lot of these uh, large investors coming in and taking up all the inventory. But what we've seen in South Florida is one, as John mentioned, uh, the shift to Florida. Uh, my father used to say, you know, the big days of the financial were, were New York and um, we had New York, Singapore and Hong Kong, I think it was, or New York, San Francisco, Hong Kong, or what they're big ones. And now we're moving to the fun and sun. Dubai has come on as a huge one. Um, if uh, Miami has come on as a financial center. And so you're seeing that move into a, I think that was already coming, but the pandemic sped it up and the pandemic sped up this idea and really changed the way people view their homes and really changed the way people view shelter. I mean, we use shelter in place for a year and a half and, and all I'm thinking is everyone keeps talking about my industry. And, and I know that's a, a little coarse to think, but it's everyone was redefining what shelter in place looked like to them and what shelter meant to them. And so because of that, you saw this major shift to to markets that that had the open uh, openness of of really being able to spend time outside and really having more land and more square footage and just more freedom, uh, and then obviously the political climate of Florida allowed for that freedom uh, as well. And so that coupled together really sped up what we believed was already coming to Florida, especially in in a lot of our major markets. When you look at Tampa, Orlando, uh, and South Florida area, but when it comes to that small investor, a lot of those people that came not only bought one house, but decided to buy one or two or three. And really what we saw was this push also towards this Airbnb lifestyle. So coupled with the move, uh, we had, uh, anecdotally, we had several investors come to us, buy multi-million dollar houses, 
and then ask us, hey, can you rent this out for a couple months? I'll be over here. I'll be traveling. Uh, when we put it on the Airbnb, they saw their returns and said, wait a minute, can I do this again? I mean, I'm talking five, six million dollar houses in Fort Lauderdale Beach and, and multi-million dollar houses in the suburbs that he saw, all right, I can rent this out for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a month and I can do this over and over. So you saw that small investor, but then you also saw a lot of uh, the younger generation, those millennials that might have already bought their first home looking to reinvest into their neighborhoods, reinvest in that, whether it's a small condo, small duplexes, things like that, and, and really started to say, I'm, I'm investing in the future of Miami. I'm seeing where this is going. Why not invest in where I know? So it is, I love that that's that stat because I think we, we totally miss that there are so many small investors really looking to make some big purchases here in Florida. And I think that's what makes it great. Have you seen that um, slow down at all? We know some of those like big pandemic markets, you want to say, or especially the Airbnb markets. Have you seen that slow down at all? I mean, I think in general, we're still see- we're seeing uh, units closed much, much lower than we did in 2021. I mean, in 2022, I think, and John will give you those stats, uh, we are pretty much in line with the nation on those stats that being 20% down in units closed uh, as a market and as a company. So we have seen the units slow down. Uh, what we haven't seen is the demand slow down as much either. So, and and really that's, especially in certain price ranges. Obviously, when in our ultra high net worth and ultra luxury, you have different motivations for buying and selling. But um, the the everyday buyer, that 90% of our homes are in the South Florida market are under, that 90% of the homes that sell are under 1.2 million. So everyone thinks of Florida and South Florida as this multi-million dollar market, which is wonderful, but 90% of the homes are under 1.2. The crazy part about that is in 2019, 90% were under 750,000. So that is a huge change. So you are seeing the slowdown um, a little bit in just a pause in the market that you're seeing across. But um, in terms of investing, we're still seeing uh, that small investor come along. Uh, interest rates are slowing down a little bit, getting interest rates have slowed them down a little bit, um, pausing them a little, but you're still seeing that want to invest in Florida and invest in South Florida. It just depends on if they can or if those numbers make sense for them. I think that's the thing, John. We know that that South Florida in particular is going to continue to be really popular. The demand is not going to slow down at all. And, you know, people people buy homes. Um, they want to live in certain places. And the climate risk maybe isn't even on their radar. Um, or, or they, or it's someone else's problem, or it's always going to be, you know, it's, it's in the future, they kick the can down the road. But, you know, what is, what is the climate risk model predict for the state of Florida? I'm very fortunate. I work with a lot of uh, very smart uh, weather scientists, climate scientists, geospatial scientists. Uh, we've built an analytic, which basically allows um, companies to measure, model, and mitigate the effects of climate change. And the way we do that is, uh, pretty pretty amazing to, to be honest so we, for every single property we run 300,000 scenarios per peril per year up to the year 2050 and obviously because of what CoreLogic does you know we collect huge amounts of data from every single transaction uh, throughout the, the the housing life cycle from everything from like you know first floor height elevation soil type building codes roof age um, you combine that with all our financial metrics like valuations and reconstruction costs. Think about all the greenhouse emission gases that we get, we get from the United Nations. Uh, called the, it's called the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change. We combine those all together 
and produce a predictive model um, across each property. So once you can measure something it's, and provide a, a potential financial impact, that just helps the conversation so much with whether we're dealing with federal agencies, um, brokerages, lenders, insurers. Um, once you can measure, you can put a plan in place to, to mitigate uh, and you know, protect home ownership and the financial stability. So um, the, I think the, the big key question is how do we help um, educate homeowners and potential buyers in the market to understand uh, the relevant risks and the relevant uh, valuation or potential impacts to, to a potential uh, purchase. So um, early days, but we're, we're, we're moving along the, along the right track now. So I have a question like, you know, when you think about um, risk from different um, events, I, I think, oh, okay, well, the newer the build, probably the better protection it has, right? Is it, Does your climate risk model, does, does it look at that? Uh, very much so, very much so. So um, if I showed you a demonstration, I can literally, we can drill into every single house and you'll, you, you can see across even just in Miami, there would be uh, uh, different colors in terms of red, you know, pretty high risk right now to uh, green, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's a low risk to, to certain uh, perils. When you play it over time, unfortunately, even in, in you know, high risk areas like uh, Florida, like new builds in, from 2017, 2018, typically you see a, tr a trebling and a quadrupling in risk profile across the next 30 years. And obviously, when you think about the financial impacts and, and the measurements like average annual loss and probable maximum loss, really basic understanding uh, the risk profile and financial numbers, that unfortunately does uh, rise quite considerably in certain areas across the United States. So, um, yes, new bills definitely uh, obviously help. Uh, I know there's, there's new ordinance uh, coming out in Florida as well, which that, that will all help to, to protect home ownership in the United States. Wow. So, Christina, how have these changes affected buyers, sellers and affordability or is it even on people's radar? I think uh, what's on people's radar is the cost of insurance. And so I think that, you know, while the climate, it rains, there's hurricanes, you know, the, the combat and the answer to usually, oh, well, you have hurricanes, well, oh, you have tornadoes, oh, you have earthquakes, oh, you have snowstorms, oh, you have floods. Or, the entire country has some, I mean, to John's point, those 18, 18 events that are happening across the country, those are across the country. Those aren't just in Florida. Now, Florida might have many, uh, but that's really the answer back to most people. I'd rather be in a hurricane than in a blizzard, right? I, at least I know what's coming and when it's coming and so on. So I don't think the climate is as much on people's radar as the cost to insurance. And 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 I could talk for hours on why our insurance cost is so high, what has what really brought us to that. But now really sitting here with John, it, it really is about the risk uh, for insurance carriers to take. And the flip side of that is for so long, especially in the Southeast and the high risk areas, we haven't even had private companies in our marketplace. Florida created a state uh, insurance product called Citizens Insurance uh, as a backup to those homes that are high risk that were unable to get private insurance. And it's actually become the largest insurance carrier in the state. And, and that's really, there's been, a, and there's a lot more reasons because why that's happened, the way we are able to litigate in our state. And just recently, we've changed a lot of that. So we do believe we will see some private carriers come in. But even with private carriers come in, 
my father, uh, who's our CEO and broker of the company yesterday said to the president of our insurance company, so when do rates go down? And he said, never. <laughs> so even with the changes in litigation and the changes in legislation to help um, make way for private carriers to come into the state of Florida, there's some reinsurance things and, and some really uh, more legalistic side of things that that really um, should make a difference and allow them to come in. They, they re the cost and the climate risk is high. And so therefore, the we are seeing quotes for million, two, three million dollar houses at $80,000 a year in insurance. And and those are real numbers. And oh, okay, well, let me put a new roof on. Okay, it goes down to 60,000. The roof is going to cost me 30, 40,000. It's only going to 60. So you are seeing a, a really big conversation now around the insurance rates. Now, is that going to affect affordability? Absolutely. Is it going to affect pricing? Potentially. I think we're going to have to start to look at insurance rates as an extra payment, right? It's going to be like that that extra payment um, to your house. And, and we're even seeing that in condo buildings. Some of the older condo buildings um, are, are seeing those same insurance rates skyrocket. So you're not escaping it, whether you're in, a, in, you're in a condo or in a single family. But certainly, Sarah, brand new builds are going to go at a premium because they have the lowest insurance rate. Right. Anything built within the past five to 10 years um, that are going to meet all of those guidelines set by private carriers, those are going to be the, the premium. And I believe you're going to see those actually have a huge premium in price because they're going to have much lower uh, insurance carrier rates, insurance rates. You know, we talk about the cost of home ownership, And one of the things that, you know, you have to um, educate people on is like, you know, it's not just your mortgage payment. It's it's not your just your utilities. I, I live in North Texas, one of the highest taxing, uh, right? We have uh, super high property tax. You've got to figure that in. It's going to come in way higher than you ever think, right? You have HOA. And now when you think about that level of an insurance payment, that that's pretty a pretty big hit to affordability. It, it is, Sarah, and I think that the biggest um, surprise to people moving to Florida uh, through the pandemic and whatnot are those two things, Sarah. Our property taxes are high and our insurance is high. And when they're coming from out of state, they're getting pre-qualified for, say, half a million dollar home. And I'll say, show me your pre-qualification. And if it's from a large bank that doesn't do a whole lot in Florida, it'll say, all right, you know, maybe 2,500 for taxes and 1,500 for insurance. I'm like, well, we're going to have to triple those numbers. Go back to your bank and see where you are. You know, I said a $500,000 home. If it's not brand new, you're really looking at probably $8,000 in, in insurance, eight to maybe 10. Uh, and, and so that's a whole different conversation and what I actually can afford now. Right. Because if it was a fifteen hundred dollars. So it's really about the payment conversation. And to your point, Sarah, is that um, that sticker shock is is quite a sticker shock. But on the flip side, we don't have state income tax. Right. We, have, we don't have our sales tax is very low. Um, we're getting rid of our commercial sales tax. So there's a lot of other pluses on on that side. So while someone might be paying more, if you're coming from New York, California, or these high state income taxes, you're saving that money regardless. So it's a wash a lot for, for a lot of them. Plus, we still are a cheaper or more affordable city than many of the large cities in, in other Chicago, San Francisco, New York City. So it's, it's starting to balance out. Uh, will it and will we raise up? Uh, you know, it's yet to be seen. Yet to be seen. You know, what are some of the um, I know that Fort Lauderdale just uh, passed an ordinance, right? I mean, so so what are the local either if it's city or county or like what are they doing to to try to address some of this risk? 
the great thing about some of our cities, especially here in South Florida, whether it be Miami Beach, City of Miami, Miami-Dade County, Fort, Fort, City of Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale Beach, Hollywood, they are actually pushing a lot of, of legislation now from a realtor broker perspective, that's hard to follow because I want my my realtors to be um, to make sure they're following the law. And if things are coming out quickly, it's hard to to make sure that everyone who is doing a sale in these cities know exactly what's required. But the the great thing is that they are addressing climate change and they are addressing the seawall. So to your uh, comment in particular, Fort Lauderdale passed um, a seawall requirement that if you're doing significant um, changes to the seawall. Uh, updates or upgrades, you have to increase the height, and that's to combat sea level. Now, it's not you have to do this right away. It's not, hey, if you're moving into a house with a seawall, you have to change it. It's when you go to make changes or you are building one, you need to increase the height. And so they're trying to make it affordable, so to speak, and not make these drastic changes, but small ones that they know they will change. City of Miami, uh, Miami Beach has done plenty of, of of legislation around um, heights and where, where you can build and how you can build and a lot of a lot of um, legislation around that to let for drainage and flooding and you know moon tide and whatnot and so everyone is trying to figure out what's best while also not disrupting too much uh, or causing too much pain and, and cost to the homeowner. It's a delicate balance, I know. Well, you know, John, let's look at what what does the future look like. So you even you've already sort of cited the fact that over the next thirty years, this the different changes we're going to see and the acceleration of that. Um, so you know, what's next? So, um, uh, very very good question. So now we've got a uh, uh, measurement in place. We're now beginning to work with um, uh, many federal agencies, banks, investment community to help them understand the exposure and the, the, uh, financially uh, to, to their book of business. We're working, as, as, as you may recall, we're working with the Federal Reserve right now who are basically doing a scenario test with the top six banks in the United States. And really what they're doing is simulating a major hurricane in the Northeast uh, region of the United States. Uh, uh, I'm pretending it's, it's 2050 and assessing on their current book of business to really put their arms around it and understand what is the risk exposure, um, you know, what's the, the risk of default, um, the risk of, of return and so forth. So all those credit measures and understand then how do we help shape policy to govern the financial institutions that provide uh, loans to, to all, of, all of us as, as homeowners. So as we go through that, that particular sector, we're beginning to work with some of the banks that will help shape regulation, uh, which which will hope, hopefully help both home ownership and uh, make sure we've got a, a stable uh, financial economy, which obviously it's, it's worth $43 trillion. It's the biggest single asset class in the world. So it's uh, it's worth protecting. It is. And I think that that's one of my big questions is like, how do the investors, how do the um, people who are ultimately on the hook for these properties, um, should something happen, how are they looking at this? So obviously they're leveraging CoreLogic to figure out what that even looks like. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, the stage we're at is is we are helping various agencies and uh, investors and banks do the research to basically get a, a, an understanding and a, a baseline of what the risk exposure could look like. And then once you understand that, then you can put the mitigations in, in, in place to 
and the action plans in place. So that it's, it's, it's at that stage, if that makes sense. John, I would venture to say it's probably similar to risk rating 2.0 that you all you were involved in as well. And uh, it's I, I think, Sarah, I know the question wasn't for me, but I do think there is a constant conversation over what, how does what we do at the federal level affect us here in Florida and, and what changes might happen, such as risk rating 2.0, flood, um, flood insurance is a constant conversation. And one of the biggest changes I think that you'll find interesting is in the legislation in which we're trying to fix our insurance problem in Florida, citizens insurance, which is the largest carrier state of carrier, has now required um, starting, they're going to phase it in, but it, um, by 2026, every policy that is held by citizens has to have a flood insurance policy, regardless of where your home is located, it, flood or not. Because what they're seeing, to similar to John, is it, Hurricane Ian came through. I wasn't in a flood zone, but my house flooded. I mean, you saw, you see this in Fort Lauderdale. There were plenty of homes there that weren't in a flood zone, but they flooded. So um, now the fight becomes between homeowner, insurance carrier, what is covered, what is not. And, and that is painful for all parties involved and costly. So I think there may be a move um, just from a very, you know, myopic perspective down here is a move towards different policies like that by insurance carriers to help protect themselves. So maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, I'll insure your house if this or if then. Uh, and I think you might start to see that at a federal level as well. And, and I think some of those small changes may help uh, at the end of the day, just from a cost perspective. Not the homeowner, but you know, I think overall, yeah, it's it's like you said, it's a delicate balance of you know who's going to win here, and we got to figure it out so everyone wins. So that's my question for you: is like looking at it from the real estate side. You know, when you look at the future with more regulation, more more trying to figure this out, do you think there's going to be you know less people buying in South Florida because they're like you know maybe maybe they love Florida, maybe they go not so far south. I mean, do do you think that's really realistic? I, I think it's hard to repli replicate what is occurring in South Florida due to the amount of businesses moving here. So I think there's two reasons people are moving here. One is it's a second home. We've always been a wonderful second home location. Um, two, I think it's been a, an incredible safe haven for our South Americans, for Europeans and South Americans um, consistently come here regardless of, you know, I say if, if, if their country is in uh, turmoil, they bring their money here to get it out. If their country is doing really well, they have money to bring out. So typically Miami is, is winning from a South American perspective. And, and actually in the pandemic, that actually was on hold. So I don't see, we're actually going to see, continue to see now our South Americans come in. So you're going to see that drive. Uh, but really what's been amazing to see is the businesses. I mean, we have the, obviously the largest and the most press was Citadel Bank. Uh, coming down, Citadel uh, Private Equity coming into to Miami, building their headquarters, leaving Illinois, uh, the wealthiest man in Illinois coming to Miami. And so now jobs are being created here. So while I think it will continue to be a conversation, uh, I heard someone speak, our economist speak and say the most, while we think it's New York, California, all these people moving into our areas, Palm Beach, the majority of the move was from Miami and Broward. So it is amazing to see uh, the migration, uh, and I use I use the joke, but it's actually true a lot, is if it happens in Miami, it's coming to a city near you soon. So I do think as Miami becomes a lot more um, dense, uh, people will go and search for, for more land for the openness or the reasons why they came to Miami. Obviously, work and jobs and, and all of those other factors will play a part. But I think the climate here and legislation isn't uh, a factor just yet. It is a conversation. Uh, and it is continuing to be a conversation. And I think the legislation around as a brokerage, 
you know, that's a balance of how much legislation we need around what we do every single day in order to actually help our buyers and sellers get the deal done. Uh, but I, it, you know, I think for now it's still the conversation and it's not a driving factor one way or the other. John, did you have something to say on that? Yeah, I think, um, I think the good news is there are a lot of good things in motion that are trying to stem the effects of climate change. So the SEC have new guide, uh, new guidelines out about uh, any public company uh, providing, uh, you know, as part of the SEC filings, uh, any financial material, materiality due to climate change. It's not a policy yet, but that's that will help a lot. You know, uh, the entire real estate community provides actually contributes about forty percent for the CO2 emissions, so that will help. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, half a trillion dollars worth of investment into clean energy incentives for, for, for consumers, that will help. Risk rating 2.0, um, I appreciate you know, from uh, Christina's perspective, you know, that, that's being implemented across um, the states, but it is more sophisticated than the previous version. And, and so that's, that's, that's good, so that, that it's, it's advancements and, and trying to help people protect their homes. So, uh, and, and, you know, uh, Christina mentioned you know, the, the new ordinance about seawalls and how they're built in south part of Florida. Those are good things. Like that, that's trying to protect homes. So that, that's a that's a huge amount of uh, activities in place. So the good news is a lot of companies, agencies um, are taking this very seriously. Uh, and I think you know, there's a good a, a good amount of activity uh, to stem this. And uh, I think that's just good news. So. I'm feeling much more positive. I agree. And I think even that to that point, John, looking at uh, public transportation. So Florida is starting to really take all, uh, a bigger look. And this is something I always say is we need to look at a 360 degree view of, of affordable housing in the sense that are we able to build in an area in which people can work? Do we need cars to get everywhere uh, to your emissions? Um, you know, are we encouraging uh, carpooling or public transportation and increasing that? And so I do think there is a push in a lot of our major cities for that um, infrastructure to build around that, that then just adds um, and helps with that conversation as well. But it is, it does take the village and it does take everyone really looking at it um, from all different perspectives and saying, all right, we, uh, the best negotiations, I say, is when everyone feels like they lost a little bit, because then that means everybody won, right? So, hey, we might have to give up a little bit here. You all might have to. But at the end of the day, if we can all do a, a little bit more and um, really add, a, it, it, I, I encourage anybody in Florida right now that doesn't have to add a flood insurance policy to add one anyway. It's a couple hundred dollars in the scheme of things. You, We've now said every single person, almost every single county in Florida has received a hurricane. And that was unprecedented. Before you were in a certain part of the state, oh, I don't get hurricanes. I don't need flood insurance. I don't need this. Now it's, all right, everybody, if we all had flood insurance, rates would look different. If we all had housing insurance, we would, you know, so I think it's that collective um, give in order to make everybody better. I also think, so So let's end on this very uh, positive note, right? But I think what we can say is like, yes, the demand is, you know, there's no sign of slowdown in demand for, for South Florida properties, for people to live there, for people to work there, for businesses to move there. The great news is that there is, um, you know, a matching momentum or at least a, a, a growing momentum of activities, to your point, John, on the federal, on the local level, and, and just really people understanding like how, like this is something we have to think about 
and we have to start trying to solve it, right? So that's great. And I think that's a big change from, say, 10 years ago. Very, very much so. Uh, going in the right direction. I think the, uh, for me, I think the, the next big task is uh, educating uh, the population at large. I don't think um, we're doing enough there to educate you and I and, and everyone listening to this broadcast about what are the potential risks to a house. And I think that's the next the next big task for uh, for us. Well, Christina, John, thank you so much for this conversation. Really interesting. Hottest market in the nation and what that looks like with climate change. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all of the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.